Okay, we're going to get started then. I'm Gloria Halverson, and I'm doing this presentation on health consequences of human trafficking. I'd like to just make a couple advertisements first and a disclaimer. The disclaimer is I'm assuming that most of you have some basic knowledge of human trafficking and what it is, the Human Trafficking 101 uh, kind of background. If you don't, there is going to be one given tomorrow morning. Uh, by Jeff Barrow. So you may want to come to that. There's actually two human trafficking talks yet tomorrow morning um, that you can come to. And secondly, if you would like some other information on this, the Christian Medical and Dental Association has really been taking a lead in this area and has a human trafficking commission. Uh, one of the first things we did was put together an 11-module online curriculum on human trafficking that deals with international trafficking, domestic trafficking, health, mental health consequences, physical, what other things to do, spiritual components of it. So all you need to do is go to the CMDA website under the human trafficking or under the continuing medical education, and you can find some further online information. It's, um, as I said, it's an 11-module course. So... All right, uh, we're going to talk about the consequences of human trafficking uh, that affect health. As you know, human trafficking is everywhere, all over the world and in your town. Um, there's two studies that I want to point out at the beginning that explains why this kind of talk is important. And the first one is a European study that was done in 2008. This was done on women from, I think, 11 different countries who were brought out of trafficking, they were rescued, and they were interviewed. And the ones that were interviewed, it turns out that 28% of them had encountered a health care provider while they were in captivity. In not one of those cases did that help lead to the women's release. It was not recognized. And if you think about it, the people who are likely to run into trafficked victims are who? You know, they're not out where you can um, see them in the supermarket very often. You know, they're going to be seen by the police. They may be seen by social services, and they may be seen by health care. So health care has a very important role to play in this. Secondly, this is a study from 2007, and it was taken of emergency room physicians. 76% had heard of trafficking. 13% thought they could identify a victim of trafficking. And less than 3% have ever had any training on recognizing a tip victim. So one of the things CMDA is trying to do is to get people trained and get information uh, out to them. So that's part of the reason for this talk. The other reason is because... People think about um, justice and the legal system, and the laws, um, social service needs. Health is a very major component of the consequences of trafficking. This quote talks about trafficking harms women in insidious ways that create messy health problems. The physical and mental health consequences are not a side effect of trafficking, but they're a central theme. Trafficking is a health care issue in that health care is central to restoring the well-being of the trafficking victim. 
So let's look at the healthcare issues involved. And one of the first problems we run into is that there is not good healthcare access. Um, first of all, they don't get preventative services. You're not going to find a pimp that says to one of the girls in his stable, oh, it's time for your yearly mammogram, or it's time for your pap smear, or you need to get vaccinations, or your children need to get vaccinations, or any kind of pre preventative services. So they don't tend to have access to that. Lack of access to care, you can see with the asterisk, 20% of interviewed victims didn't have any idea of where to go to get any health care. Um, second, and the third thing is late services. A trafficker isn't going to easily spend their money on um, health care issues for women unless he's about to lose his product. And so when you see someone who's been trafficked with late, uh, you know, far along the line developed health consequences, that would not be uncommon for someone who's been trafficked. The other thing is that there are a lot of the health issues that are associated for tractum, uh, trafficked victims has to do with their situations and their environments. For example, many of them have inhumane uh, living conditions. There's, I've been in brothels where... Um, Girls or women are locked in rooms for up to three years. They're tied to beds. They're beaten up. They're not fed regularly. Um, they can be in very inhumane um, situations. Labor trafficking victims can be in very dangerous kind of employment situations. Sanitation is poor. Nutrition is poor. They don't have personal hygiene things available to them. A lot of them are very, very brutally and emotionally um, abused, and they just don't have um, good health to begin with because of these problems, their situation. Another factor that's involved is before they even get into the traffic situation, there's pre-existing conditions that cause them to have health problems. Now, there's a difference between the model of an uh, internationally trafficked person and a domestic trafficked person. Uh, an um, adolescent teenager in the United States often gets into trafficking situations because of abuse that has happened at home, for example. In much of the uh, less developed world, the main factor behind trafficking is poverty. People can't feed their children or support their families. People sell their children because they can't feed them or take care of them. Um, they're, they're given uh, dreams and ideas of a better life somewhere else. And so poverty is a big, big problem for these women going into trafficking or people going into trafficking. And poverty in itself is a risk factor for both morbidity and mortality problems. This is a survey that was done on women from trafficking situations. Seventy percent of them were poor or very poor before they were trafficked. Fifty percent of them physically abused, abused 32 percent sexually abused, 22 percent both. And most of them have a great health ignorance. Forty-eight percent had no knowledge of um, sexually transmitted infections, HIV in particular, um, when I work in low-resource countries, many of the women and girls that we work with have never been to school. 
So they have no idea of the, to have knowledge or facts about any of these things or how they're transmitted or when they can get diseases. And in the United States, a lot of the kids that are in trafficking, you know, the average age of entering trafficking in the United States for teenage adolescent is 11 today. They are frequently not in school, and they, they don't know these things. So that all contributes to their health problems, as well as the fact that many of them have poor living conditions. So what kind of, once they get trafficked, what kind of health problems come from poor living conditions? Many are malnourished. Um, they get GI problems, scabies, head lice, typhoid from their crowded, unclean conditions, um, tuberculosis, impetigo. Um, I've worked in some brothels in uh, India where they have no, many places have no plumbing or any sanitation in their house. In this one particular brothel, they have pipes in the house that lead to the, lead to the alleys in between the houses that they can urinate or defecate into. And we sat there as it would start getting dusk at night, watching all the rats come out and run around, of course, carrying disease with them. What kind of problem is this that you may see? Scabies. Scabies. Very common in the children of trafficked women. Very common in trafficked people themselves. Let me put the other one back. Um, we've been in places where the, really the majority of the kids have all had scabies. Um, so that is a concern from their living conditions. And this one? Lice. Lice. Common. So poor living conditions, uh, close contact with others leads to these. I've, I remember having a little girl in front of me and watching the lice jump from her head. So it can be pretty significant um, disease. There is very little research in this area. You have to know that. We're trying very hard on our healthcare teams now to collect data and look at these issues more, but it's hard to find research out there. This is one of the studies that's available, and now you can see already it's 10 years old. And these were the women in one of the previous studies who were rescued. And in the first two weeks after they were rescued, they were interviewed about their health problems. And you can see that this is the kind of problems they came complained of. A majority of them had headaches, dizzy spells, sexual health problems, memory problems, black, back pain, and fatigue. A couple points I want to make from this. You're working. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You're in the emergency room. Somebody comes in. They're not very clean. They've got lice or they've got scabies. Um, you start talking to them. They give you a positive review of systems. They have everything wrong here. This is really the person that you want to be up with in the middle of the night and spend a lot of time with, right? And it takes time to get to the bottom of these kinds of problems. Another thing to note is the headaches, dizzy spells, memory problems, and back pain that these people tend to have. I'm sorry, fatigue that these people tend to have. They are not good historians. They get confused easily. Their story changes. They, they're used to telling you what they think you want to hear. So they can be very frustrating to deal with because you can't get clear information from them. 
Other kinds of problems you see early on in general from their background, weight loss. A lot of them are underweight. A lot of them have eating disorders, and a lot of them have sleep disturbances. We were at a rescue shelter in Nicaragua, and they had a little girl came in and to the dorm, and she couldn't sleep at night. And the reason she couldn't sleep at night is because her mother would work all night, and so she'd have her kicked out of the house out on the street, and she'd come home in the morning when her mother was done working and sleep, and she couldn't sleep in the dark. But most of them have sleep disturbances because of their lifestyles, their erratic hours, and the stress that they're under. Mental health consequences of trafficking is huge. It's tremendously damaging to people and their recovery from trafficking because they have permanent problems from what they've experienced. In this survey, you can see that there was a very high incidence. The majority had PTSD, acute anxiety, depression, insomnia, hyperalertness, loneliness, fear, and tension. This was 827 people interviewed from nine different countries. On top of that, many of them, especially the younger the children are, the, the younger they're taken into trafficking, the more mind-body dissociation you find that they have. Um, shame, grief, <coughs> distrust, hatred of men, suicidal thoughts, self-hatred. When you're told your whole life that you are of no value and no worth and you're treated that way, you start to believe it. Some of the other things that affect you being able to intervene with these people um, they're very isolated. They're very afraid of authority figures. You have to recognize that in some cities and in some, some towns and in some countries, the younger girls are saved for the police or for the politicians or if it's other countries, the U.S. US tourists will come in and pay the bigger bucks. There's girls that work in... Cambodia in a brothel and their family has sold them and they're almost at the time to, that the debt is paid off and they think they're going to get free and the police come in at the request of the pimps and they arrest the girls and put them in jail and the police uh, the, the pimp then has to pay their bail and then they owe the pimp more and they can never get free or he has the pimp has some thugs come beat them up and take them to the hospital and the pimp's going to pay the hospital bill so they owe him more money and they can never get free, especially the interest rates that are being charged and the fact that he keeps the money that she makes. So you see them in the emergency room. But they have a fear of authority. They also feel a sense of betrayal because many times the trafficking happened because of um, acquaintances, friends, boyfriends, husbands, neighbors, family friends, and relatives. Immediate family may be involved in getting someone trafficked, so they don't trust you or anybody else very much. When children are involved, this is a very difficult problem because they get um, affective disorders, behavioral disorders, cognitive problems, acute anxiety and stress, conduct disorder, personality disorders. If you can get them in school, poor academic achievement, and poor interpersonal relationships. 
and it's very, very hard to get them back where you'd like to see them functioning in society. Um, a lot of people have problems with flashbacks after they've been um, trafficked or with panic attacks, things that just set off a memory, a physical memory, even if they don't have a memory that they can visualize, but a response in their body that they are just panicking and sweating and nauseated and, and anxious. Substance abuse is a major issue for these people for several reasons. Number one, a woman will start using drugs to ease her pain because she is emotionally hurting so badly in the situation she's in. Secondly, many pimps will purposely get people addicted because they're, then they're dependent on their pimp and they're not going to be able to get away. They need the drugs or whatever their substance of choice in. They don't, Nicaragua is a very poor country. They don't have much money. They tend to sniff glue because they can get glue. But they use something to help them ease the pain or they get controlled by the pimp. And so if you're dealing with this person again in your clinic and on top of being unclean and not giving you a clear history and having a four-plus positive view of systems, they're drunk or high, again, you, you tend to back away and not want to spend the time with them. Um, just, it's a whole other talk on mental health care, but just to mention that cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown by many people to be quite effective. Um, you have to do trauma-informed mental health care, and we're going to talk about trauma-informed care a little more. And remember, the substance abuse issue has to be dealt with separately. You have to deal with the substance abuse. Another thing you'll find is infectious disease. And if you're working in this country, you're likely to find infectious disease that you're not real familiar with. For example, here, these are to remind you of tuberculosis and malaria, which we don't see as much every day here. But remember that many people bring these diseases in, and they either got them in their country of origin, and it was undiagnosed or not treated, or in transit when they were being brought to another country. And the United States is both a source and a destination country for trafficking. So we have people brought here from everywhere. Um, also, you know, they're neglected and they're, they're in a bad environment. So they tend to have a lot of infectious disease. So think about trafficking if you see something odd like that. Physical abuse. You may find this may be a reason someone will get medical care. They've got fractured bones, they've got dislocations, they've got bruises, they've got cuts, they've got puncture wounds, um, they have burns, they have cigarette burns all over them, they have um, dental injuries, facial injuries, in injuries, concussions, perforated tympanic membranes, things that make you think of trauma. Because these people are frequently beat up and physically traumatized by both the pimps if they don't make their quota but also many of them by the Johns who are allowed to do what they want to do. Um, and so think of that. These pictures, the one on the right is very common. You see, I see a lot of trafficked women who've had their two front teeth knocked out. That's not uncommon. I also see a lot of trafficked women with a lot of dental caries, gum disease, a lot of, you know, they, they do not get dental care. Um, that's a, often a preventive care type of situation, and they just, 
don't get it. When we take teams down to work with traffic people, what are their <coughs> biggest thing that pulls people to come is the dentists because they don't get dental care. So that's common. These other three faces are not as common. And the reason is that pimps, again, are trying to sell their product. And they don't want to make them unattractive. So if you see some of these people, they're, town, they're likely to have their burns and their stab wounds and their bruises where their clothes will hide it. So you may see it if you have them get undressed. Traumatic brain injury is a big problem. If you get your head banged around enough, you wind up with a traumatic brain injury. And then they have trouble sleeping, uh, trouble thinking, trouble with recall, um, giving a coherent story. And between the physical traumatic brain injury and the emotional mental health issues that you have to deal with, you may have a lot of difficulty <coughs> connecting with this person in a straightforward fashion. Sexual exploitation, especially in sex trafficking, but in other trafficking also. Um, think about HIV AIDS. I've been uh, in brothels that have had on that, in that alley, 70% of the people are HIV positive. There's other places that I've been that virtually has 1% or 2% HIV because there is not much in that country. When it comes into a country, it tends to come in through the prostitutes and trafficked women. So they, you tend to see it there before you see it um, in the rest of the country. Hepatitis, um, sexually transmitted infections, pregnancy, which can include ectopic pregnancies and abortion complications, um, vaginal trauma. Many of these women are treated very roughly. Um, Yeast and urinary tract infections. Those are frequent things caused by sexual exploitation, consequences of that. Sexually transmitted disease, you have to think of all of these. And some of them are very hard. If you're in an emergency room or a, your clinic office in the United States, you can do a chlamydia screen very easily. If you're in a low-resource country, you may not be able to. We've even tried taking a lot of tests down. Uh, to treat people that, and we know they have very significant PID, and the testing is negative because of the heat that, you know, damages your test, or so many other factors. Um, so we're going to talk a little about syndromic diagnosis and treatment for some of these. Obviously, the symptoms of HIV-AIDS that make you concerned for that. Keep in mind, there is a difference between women who prostitute themselves and trafficked women, and there is some overlap. I, I do know many women who were initially trafficked and then got away from their trafficker but stayed in prostitution because they had no other way to support themselves or no other way to feed their children. That was all they knew how to do. That's the importance of microenterprise and economic development with these people. It's really a very holistic problem for intervening with it. Um, you will find uh, with the trafficked women more illiteracy, uh, less of an awareness of um, sexually transmitted infection because, again, when they tend to be trafficked younger, I've taken care of girls who have been rescued from trafficking as young as five years old. 
what, you know, they haven't had a chance to learn very much. Um, they have much more limited access to health care. Um, in theory, a prostitute, if she knew where to go and had any money, could get to a health care provider. Many of the trafficked women are locked up and they, they can't go anywhere. Um, they also have less, more limited ability to negotiate with uh, someone who, a client that buys them. Um, a trafficked woman really doesn't have any say. She's, she's just ha does what she's told to do. There are prostitutes that can demand that a man uses a condo when they have sex. But I know a lot of prostitutes who won't demand it because they get paid less than if they have sex without the condom and they've got children to feed. Complex situations. Um, and again, they're, if they're trafficked, they're really worried about, you know, they're here illegally in the country. They don't have a passport. They're worried about being arrested. So there's other reasons that stand in their way of getting care. So I put up a couple things for you to look at in the kind of diseases you can look for in your clinic, your office, your emergency room with people coming in. PID, obviously, is a major one. What about this? Hepatitis. Right, hepatitis. What about this? Trick. Trichomonas, the foamy discharge and the strawberry cervix, and that is a trichomonad up at the top if you looked under the microscope. This one and this one go together. Medical students should have this one. The disease formerly known as Reiter's syndrome. I put the, you know, um, react, they get reactive arthritis. They uh, can't see, can't plea, can't climb a tree. You sometimes hear. Um, disseminated chlamydia. And the reason I put this up, I'm a gynecologist, and in my office when I see chlamydia, I tend to see a vaginal discharge, or I tend to see adnexal tenderness on a pelvic exam. But remember, these people are not going to get early health care. So you are likely to see them in a more disseminated situation. They may present with arthritis, with arthritis and um, skin rash from their chlamydia. Um, iritis that you see here. Um, There's a lot of things that influence the woman's risk of getting a sexually transmitted infection. Um, the degree of sexual exploitation, um, lifetime number of sex partners. You know, when you think of risk of certain diseases, for example, cervical cancer, which we're going to talk about a little bit, what are you taught are the risks for getting cervical cancer? Early age of intercourse, multiple sexual partners, I mean, these, these criteria were set up not looking at girls that might be seven or eight years old who might have to service 20 men in a night. You know, we're talking in our clinics about people who have had four or five sexual partners and we think they've had a lot in their life, and these are girls in one night. So that obviously, um, here you can see some report up to 40 or 50 men in a night that they've had to be with. Um, you know, no condom use. 
trauma. Um, having intercourse during menstruation. Do you know the uh, phrase 24-7 is a phrase that, phrase that comes from prostitution because these trafficked women and prostitutes are required to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether they have their period or they don't have their period. And that puts them more at risk for sexually transmitted disease, as does vaginal douching. And the few studies there are on trafficked women say that about half of them douche very regularly. What's this? Three different presentations. See, I thought the medical students would be better than the practitioners or the nursing students because once you get in practice, you don't see this as much as you're taught in school. Syphilis, a shanker, painless shanker, primary syphilis, you may see. Uh, we picked up on a syphilis epidemic in um, Nicaragua because nobody had been screening for it. Secondary syphilis. So a more latent phase. You see the bubo that's in the middle? And this is the second. These are all pictures that could be secondary syphilis. How about this? Congenital syphilis. Remember the kids. Remember the innocent children that are affected. Tertiary, Tertiary syphilis, right. Guma. There. This is, comes from a woman who's HIV positive as well as um, with, with uh, tertiary syphilis. And obviously having HIV, it predisposes her more to these other diseases showing up. Not many gynecologists here. Herpes. Condyloma, venereal warts, another HPV. Let's talk about pregnancy. And let's talk about pregnancy in kids. Remember I told you the average age in the U.S. is 11, that girls are entering prostitution now because of the U.S. people in prostitution, not the international trafficked in. The primary person involved is an adolescent girl. There's a lot of consequences for girls to get pregnant. They're not physiologically ready for this as well as emotionally in other ways. Um, Lancet um, published an article where they estimated that there were 9 million girls per year um, who became pregnant from um, being trafficked. And so they looked at that and felt that out of that they would expect 4,752 maternal deaths. They figured the abortion rate in this group of children is one million and a quarter abortions, and that the abortion-related complications would be a third of a million, and the abortion-related deaths, 710. So this is a mathematical model, but all looking at um, the complications of pregnancy to the teenage girls in this country. And you know that abortion has complications to it. I can tell you that um, it depends on where you're working. When we work in Nicaragua, just about every woman is taking um, 
Depo Provera because it's provided free by the government and they have contraceptive clinics and we don't see this as a big issue. I um, worked with uh, trafficked women in India and I asked every single one of them what she used for contraception and I had a 100% response rate of nothing. Nothing. Multiple abortions for all of them. Many not done by healthcare providers. Many done by the pimp. And many now being done with the pills because they can just get a prescription and abort at the brothel. Abortion has complications, especially when they're done by pimps. But some of them being prolonged bleeding, heavy bleeding, fever, lower abdominal pain, vaginal discharge, and there's a lot of late complications after this has happened with uh, increases in prematurity, if they have children later, incompetent cervix, so they get pregnancy loss, there's more placenta previa, there's more infertility. Uh, if you get infected from your abortion and you've got uh, adhesions, you're going to have chronic pelvic pain and infertility issues. Um, that may increase your chance of having an ectopic pregnancy at a, at a later date. So there's a lot of long-term consequences. And this is just an ectopic pregnancy to demonstrate. I want to just spend a minute on cervical cancer because this, as I alluded to before, is a very high-risk issue for these women because they are young, they are having multiple sexual partners, and they are not screened. If you take, for example, a country like Nicaragua, which is where I know best, 90% of the women in the whole country will never have a pap smear in their entire life, let alone talk about the trafficked population ever having screening. And we're very fortunate in that we now understand a lot about cervical cancer, that it's caused by a sexually transmitted infection, HPV, and that it takes, on average, 10 or 12 years to develop from the time of infection, so there's time to intervene. And I'm just stressing, in this country, if someone comes into you for something else and you suspect they're trafficked, I think you should do a pap smear, too because they're not going to come in for that preventive care. When you have them there, that's your one chance to do what you need to do. When you're in a low-resource country and you don't have the availability to do that, we've been using visual inspection with acetic acid, VIA procedures, which is what the World Health Organization recommends. We have picked up an astounding rate of um, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, um, pre-malignant cervical cancer, and we have been able to do cryosurgery right on the spot without them leaving and wondering, worrying you're going to have a failure rate for them coming back. We're also fortunate there because we have the equipment. We're able to do LEAP procedures if we can't do a cryosurgery. So that's an area that's really not been looked at. We've now done several hundred uh, women, and we're compiling data on this, but, but they are at high risk for this. Um, this is just shows some different ways of that. And this is just to consider, because of all these reproductive issues I mentioned, and for sex-trafficked women, that's huge. Um, think about doing all of this kind of screaming, screening, contraception options, safe-sex counseling, things like this when these women are in, no matter what else that they're there for. You'll also find that for many of these women – what they perceive as their main problem is their reproductive health. So even though 
you're sewing up a laceration that's bleeding and you're very, very worried about that getting infected and how long it's been there and all this. She's really worried about these other things. So think about her reproductive health um, also. Syndromic treatment is um, a system put out which World Health Organization also recommends where you diagnose based on symptoms and diagnose based on the type of organisms usually found in the area and the antibiotic sensitivity. We, most places we are, all the places I go, we use syndromic treatment. Someone comes in with 102 fever, they have um, uh, thick yellow discharge and their tubes and ovaries are tender, we assume they have PID. I want to just spend a few minutes on labor trafficking to talk about something um, that's unique to them, some that's not unique. And there's all sorts of labor trafficking. Um, it may be in nail salons in your town. It may be in a clothing factory in Bangladesh. It may be in a brick factory in India. It may be in restaurants in your town. So there's many different kinds. And it's good to know in your area where are they finding traffic people. So your antennae will go up. Um, but there's specific things to think about in labor traffic people. First of, all, first of all, they often still have all those diseases of poverty that I mentioned to you because it's poverty that got them labor trafficked to begin with. So they have all those risks. Secondly, even though they're labor trafficked, they are very frequently physically abused. And thirdly, they are usually sexually abused in addition. So you have to think about all these things that we've already talked about. They also have this, you know, they get high blood pressure and diabetes just like everybody else um, can, and you, you have to think of that. But they tend to come in in worse shape with more advanced problems. They also are going to have diseases that are caused by unsafe working conditions. Um, for example... They may be working somewhere that's got very poor ventilation and they're exposed to chemicals and they're exposed to other toxins. You may find a higher incidence of acute asthma attack in someone coming in or skin reactions to all of this. Uh, repetitive motion injuries from having to, you know, do the very same thing with their arm all day long. So they have more musculoskeletal injuries. They may be in a very loud environment, and so they may have damage to their hearing. They may have injuries because of unsafe conditions to their eyes, that they're not protected. Also, musculoskeletally, that things fall on them and things are too heavy. So they have an additional set of things to consider. Um, I put up for you a whole potpourri here of different kinds of labs to consider based on the situation and your degree of suspicion about someone being trafficked and if you're in a low-resource area based on what your resources are. Remember the preventive care that I mentioned to you when you see these people. And also remember that this is a very complex victim group, and they're hard to take care of. It's really sweet and nice for us to sit in our, our sanitized little churches as Christians and want to help these people. And then you get face-to-face -face with them and realize some of them don't want help. And their language is very crude. And their dress is very poor. And 
all sorts of issues that this is not someone you might pick out as the neighbor that you feel you need to help love your neighbor as yourself. And yet we are, we are to do that. And, and part of the reasons they're complex I've put up here, they're afraid of their trafficker. If they get caught, if you don't rescue them and they get caught, they are in big, big trouble. Um, they're afraid for their family. Many time traffickers will say, if you try to run away, if you try to escape, I know where your family lives. I'm going to get your sister and kill her, or I'm going to hurt your mother. There's a lot of things that happen like that. Um, some of them are very guilty for things that they've had to participate in. Um, a lot of them have a lot of shame. Um, they, as I said, they don't tend to trust authority figures and many of them are very loyal to their traffickers as a coping mechanism, especially in this country. You know, you've got the gorilla pimps that are real rough, but you've got these pimps that take these girls and they say, um, wow, you're really pretty. You're a model, right? Oh, no, you're not? Hey, I got a friend who will do a portfolio for you. Why don't you come? Let's have dinner together. I'll take you out for dinner. Let me introduce you to you. You get in the car. That's it. But they, I love you, sweetheart. But we just really need some money right now. You just, you got to help us out some. And he takes her to get her nails done. And he does other things. Or she has his child. This is her baby's daddy. And there's also a Stockholm Syndrome that happens, or Patty Hearst kind of syndrome. If you remember, she was kidnapped but wound up working in a bank heist with the kidnappers because they feel this connection to their pimp. If, if he is the only one that can tell you when you can go to the bathroom, what you can eat, what you're wearing, you are extremely dependent on them for everything, and you need to protect them. So there may be difficulty in trying to work with these people. One of the really important things to remember before you, if you're suspicious that someone is trafficked is that you get them away from the people who brought them in because they are not going to talk in front of that person. And it may be a woman who says she's a sister or something. Women are pimps. Women are involved in trafficking. Or she might be the lead girl in the stable who was sent to watch out for this. You may have trouble with an interpreter. Don't use them for an interpreter. You have to get them alone. Um, you have to do an additional review of systems medically when you're thinking of health consequences because of all these problems I told you they can have. For example, head trauma, headaches, pharyngeal trauma, dental or gingival pain, visual changes. Um, you know, do they have rope marks on their neck? Has somebody tried to strangle them? Um, there's, you can see for every system here, I have a list for you of additional questions to think of that should run through your mind if you think you're working with someone who may be a victim of trafficking. And when you take care of them, you need to do trauma-informed care. You've got to give priority to the survivor's physical and emotional safety. You have to concurrently address co-occurring problems. You have to have a philosophy of empowerment for them, that they will be empowered to have control, to guide service delivery, to make decisions about what they do not want done to them um, or what's okay that you can do to help them. 
you have to tailor this to them. I um, had a gal that um, had been sexually abused and she'd be in her office. And what her uncle always made her do was to take off, send her in a room, had her take off her clothes, and then he came in. It helped her a lot for me to stay in the exam room while she undressed to be more comfortable. It was too frightening to her. It, it brought back too many memories for me to ask her to change and then come back in the room. I had a patient in uh, India who had told her husband that um, her husband that she was tired of being a sex slave and sold around every night. And he threw kerosene on her lap and set her on fire. And she had these horrible burns. She'd been in the hospital for four or five months. She'd just gotten to this rescue center and had trouble walking. And she, she was sad. She was so sad. I mean, you saw a difference in her from everyone in the place. The nurses dragged her into the us because they were so impressed with the kind of screening we were doing for cervical cancer and everything. And I listened to this woman's story, and I said, well, we'll see her again next year. You know, and they were going to make her have an exam. And nobody else really needs to make this woman spread her legs apart for us to get in there for anything. We have to get trust and relationship built. So you trauma-informed care, you, t you tailor what you're doing to what you see. Um, you just don't want to traumatize them any further. This is not uh, moving. Sorry. It's integrated care, body, mind, and spirit. It's non-judgmental care. Um, you adapt it. You make a culture, gender, and age appropriate. And in other cultures, sometimes we don't understand the way they think about disease or the old wives' tales they believe. So you have to... Work with them as far as what do they think the problem is. What did, how does it affect them? What worries them the most? Because you may have to negotiate out a way to work with them. You've got to treat them confidentially and with security. And before they came in, you know, you hear talk like this, well, what's your next step? Well, before any of these people come in, you have to make that next step now. You have to know what your resources are. You have to know who you can call in town that will come from social service or from the FBI or who can help you. You've got to know the systems available. You've got to develop protocols for safety for this person and for your medical team. And we need a lot of research in this area to do a much better job. This is a quote from Lancet. The healthcare community must become more engaged in increasing the recognition of trafficked women and girls in healthcare settings, in provision of appropriate services, and in helping shape public policy to address what is one of the most disturbing health issues of our time. So I think this is a really important issue for us. Um, and especially to a Christian audience, I think that that's the group that has the best shot at making an impact here. Because if you've never known a loving father, who are the people who can tell you that you have one? Who are the people that can tell you you are of worth? 
Are there any questions? I think we have a couple minutes. Yes. That's a good question, and I am really glad you brought it up because don't forget about boys and men. Um, they are trafficked, too. Um, as a gynecologist, I don't deal with boys or men as much, but you are still very likely to see um, sexual trauma in them. You're still likely to see physical abuse. A lot of them, the transvestite men, and, um, oh, in Asia, I'm just blocking on the name for cross-dressing men, um, that uh, still tend to have a lot of physical and emotional abuse happen to them as well as, as sexual abuse. So in those ways, very similar. Any other questions? Yes. As far as research that needs to be done, can you think of a couple of studies that you would like to see done that would be beneficial to shape policy? Well, the, the research studies, are we done? Oh, okay. The research <laughs> studies that are done, um, it's hard to get them set up because you can't get follow-up. You can't get people to give you straight answers. Again, they try to tell you what you want. So there's a lot of barriers to research that I didn't go into. But we don't even know, you know, the percentage, except for these few studies, of what their problems are. Nor then we have to find what appropriate treatments can we do quickly, like the syndromic and the VIA. We have to find ways that you can do good treatment, um, best practice in one visit because you may never see them again. So a lot health-wise has to do with that. And you have to, and a lot has to do with success rate. How much, you know, do you see recur again? You know, how much have you really intervened? I think when you look for success in trafficking, it's, you know, you rescue people, do they get out? The other issue is prevention. You know, there's prevention issues. There's just a huge range, bazillions of things that have to be looked at yet. So, yes. There is a state department, there's a thing called a T-Visa that is available. And for a lot of these people, if they have been trafficked, they will not be deported. That is a lie. If they cooperate with the government on helping get their traffickers caught. So there's a catch in there, too, that it may not apply to everyone. It's difficult to make promises to them. But the majority of people who are truly trafficked internationally to this country should have protection, but it requires them cooperating with the authorities. Yes? I guess it part depends on age if you're dealing with kids and things like that. I'd, I'd like to see HPV vaccine given really young to everybody, and there's some countries that I'm in that it's been offered free and it's banned um, because people think it's going to increase promiscuity. Um, but, you know, hepatitis would be a big one. I know you've got to think of things because of series. You've got to find ways you can do follow-up. Um, most of the communicable diseases, I mean, my, our middle school at home is having a whooping cough epidemic right now, you know, and kids who've already been vaccinated, a lot of them don't have any basic things, so I'd probably get them as much as I could that was age appropriate for them. And it's difficult in the ones that need a series, which, for example, Gardasil does, um, that you really need to see what you can do connecting with the social service system and other systems to get, get these people back. They're, they're hard. There's no simple, simple answer. I think we are out of time. 
So thank you very much for attention.